This is episode number 10 of the Ask the Collective podcast. In this episode, we continue our conversation on where the church is going. Myself, Adam, Chris, Bellamy, and Chris Sly got together, and we just continue talking about what we think um, God's doing in the church. A lot of this conversation ended up really focusing in on the tension between the generations, whether we should be focusing on young people, uh, whether we should honor old people, and I think the answer is somewhere in between, which you, you probably know at this point too, but it's just really, really cool conversations, and um, I love the conversation too that we got in about the difference between a worship pastor and a worship leader, and what that actually means for us when we're on the platform. So here we go with Ask the Collective, episode number 10. There's a lot that goes into this because like when you think about movies from the 40s, 50s, 60s that were set in the future, they always showed you a totally modern world. Um, everything in that, in that futuristic world was new, worked, it was all there. Um, and that's one of the things that, that the first Star Wars did that was so groundbreaking was that it showed, hey, sometimes things are old and they're broken and, and there's new stuff. But then there's all this like old stuff too, and I think uh, to think that it all will shift at once. I mean, you could have, yeah, uh, and you see that now. You, sure. you walk into a church that feels um, very old school, but you can see that they've put lights and smoke machines because they think that's what they need to do to be young. It doesn't mean that that's what they need to do, <laughs> yeah. But they're just sure. they're just trying to incorporate what they think the young people want. Um, and so I think I think there's always going to be that element as well because I, there's I be- think these young people really want some smoke. Let's give them some smoke. <laughs> they do like the smoke. It's just in the West Coast. <laughs> yeah, man. No, oh, that's a different smoke. We yeah. All the zingers, Chris, you're killing us, man. <laughs> um, I, I wonder, like, I guess listening to all this um, to kind of go back to like the Walmart, Starbucks thing. Like, do do you feel? Say your hill songs, your elevations, your life church. Like it seems like they have, I guess, for lack of a better term, like the franchise thing down. Like they can keep planting. Do you guys feel like um, there's going to be a ton of success in that, or it's kind of like there's both and spreading around? I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just trying to like figure out like yeah. everywhere Hillsong plants. Like I'm in California. There's one down in LA. There's one coming to San Francisco, and it seems like everywhere they land, it just goes really well. So why not just keep doing that everywhere? And well, then. The- Oh, sorry, Ryan. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just just say, going to say on the flip side. Then there's other churches who are just don't want to have anything to do with that. They want to keep small. They want to keep you know 100 people at a local thing with their pastor and, and leave it at that. Well, this year out of the top 100 churches, uh, that the fastest growing churches, literally 100 out of 100 were multi-site uh, campuses, like multi-site churches. Sure. Um, and so I think that decidedly that the church, that the American church at least is saying that the multi-site model is working right now. Um, now, you know, I, I like for instance here in Chicago, and I'm relatively new to Chicago, so it's kind of a different thing. You know, Chicago is very much about like the um, sort of village mentality. Like you live in Lockport and you get your groceries in Lockport and you, or like I live in Frankfurt and in Frankfurt here outside, you know, it's on the suburbs of Chicago. Like we, we get our groceries in Frankfurt. And like, when people talk about it, they talk about it in a very village sort of mentality. Like, Mm -hmm. You shop within your village, and I know San Francisco is like that. I'm, I actually am fascinated to see how this works with Hillsong going into 
San Francisco because San Francisco kind of is that sort of village, from what I understand, sure. is very yeah. villagey. I'm wondering how that's going to work compared to like New York or LA where it's so many transients who are, you know, uh, who are transplants from elsewhere. San Francisco has a lot of transplants also, but there is sort of this kind of mentality of like you live and you shop and you eat and you do all these things where you live and you know, not a lot of people have cars and, you know, that sort of mentality, I think, I wonder how that lends itself to the coffee shop sort of franchising mentality yeah. that it feels like is happening with uh, with Hillsong. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I actually think that it's it's incredible that Hillsong is planning, but I just wonder how it's going to work. Sure. Uh, and, and the thing to remember, though, is that they're, like I said earlier, they're doing it right now. But the, right. none of this is guaranteed for the long term, sure. I mean, I mean, we've—it's it, it, not the norm. But when Mars Hill imploded, nobody would have thought five years ago that Mars Hill wouldn't exist anymore. Nope. Um, and it doesn't. And and in the longer term, I mean, I'm I'm sitting in a movement of churches that was what Hillsong is now, and I'm well aware that um, it, at some point, you know, they can they they managed to do it. They managed to jump a generation once. And, and, and Darlene is still being used by the Lord, but she's not the face or the voice of Hillsong's music anymore. Right. Um, and, and, but the question is, can they do it again? And you're always going to be faced with that. Um, can, can they make that jump again? And um, so there's no guarantee that Life Church or, or any of these guys make that jump a, a first time or a second time or a third time, that, that, that's always going to be the thing to watch. So if you think, oh, these guys have the way, they have the answer, they're doing their thing right now. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they'll have the, the, the answer for how to do it in 10 years or in 20 years. I mean, that's, a, that's a generational thing where the Lord has to work. And, and, and that's true on the small church level too. Sure. Um, because I think there's, I mean, it's, it's like personalities. There are people that love a big church. And there are people that love a small church. And I, I grew up in a big church. My church was 2,000, 3,000 people growing up. And I've, I've spent a lot of my adult ministry in smaller churches. So I, I know both. And I know that um, there are smaller churches doing really good things. And there are bigger churches doing really good things right now. But none of us are guaranteed that it's going to keep going. Well, Marcel is alive in my heart. <laughs> I still, they're, they're so, I, I still listen to Driscoll's sermons, man. <laughs> well, he's about to start another church now. That's Phoenix, true, right? Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. I can, I can shameless plug uh, our other podcasts. Uh, we've done a lot of interviews with the Mars Hill bands, so mm-hmm. uh, if listeners want to check their stuff out and uh, what they have to say, that's super interesting. Also, a podcast that hasn't come out yet, but uh, Miles and I talked to. Um, we talked to Bob Coughlin, who wrote Worship Matters, and he talked a lot about uh, the stuff going on that we've been talking about. So, shameless plug. Cool. I'll link all that stuff. Um, let's take make it a little practical. Like, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, at the end of the day, you know, we can't really say this is what it'll be in five years, so prepare for that. But do you guys have any advice for just the worship leader that's listening to this, you know, at their church trying to figure out, you know, what what are they supposed to do? Like, maybe they're – I think a lot of people try to emulate your hill songs, your elevations – you know, they want to do that music, but they're getting met with, you know, resistance by their pastor or by, you know, some of the people at our church saying like, oh, hey, you know, we don't want to go that far. Uh, we need some of our hymns. Is it kind of like the age old battle? You guys have any, any advice for them? 
I think you should look at your people and look at them as a whole and, and see what, how can you connect to all of them? You know, um, how can you strike a balance between being fresh, being new, appealing to younger generation, but also not excluding the older generation? Um, now, how do you do that? That's, that's tricky, but um, I think some churches kind of have the mentality that, well, you know, the older generation is on their way out and, you know, why should we um, kind of appeal to them? Um, and I think that's kind of a shame, you know? Um, and I enjoy churches that seem to that seem to kind of be conducive to bringing a whole family um, and, and not having them all split up or coming at different times or whatever. Um, I also enjoy worship music that's the same way, that it kind of appeals to, it, it feels fresh and new, but it also has a nod to the old. Um, like I had never done Oh Praise the Name until you know we did it at your church, Ryan, um, I'd heard the song, but I had never done it. And, and immediately I was like, wow, this is, this is a great song for, it, it feels new and fresh, but at the same time, you can, you can hear the, the influence from the hymns. Sure. Um, so I read the, I read what, um, Marty Sampson was saying about how they wrote it. And they, they specifically studied hymns and tried to make a, make that, use that format. Hmm. And so, um, you know, we, as soon as I got back from your church, I started doing it at my church and immediately caught on, you know? Sure. Um, and it's just because it's kind of, it's kind of timeless, you know, it's got the, the new freshness, but it's also got that, that tradition in, inside of it. So I, not that, that that's where the church is going, but that's what, what I like. I enjoy things that are like that, that are, that are kind of, uh, very inclusive. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I think that I would say that, um, uh, yes, I, I actually I absolutely agree with Adam. I think that as songwriters um, that we should be trying – like, hey, I love the modern sort of – you know, modern sort of worship movement. I love like the more emotional, like Bethel is my jam. Like I can listen, like I love to lead Bethel. I love to introduce our church to Bethel. I just, mm. I just love Bethel. I think everything about it as far as musically and, and, and lyrically and how, how those songs connect with an audience tend to work almost universally in a lot of places. Um, but I also think that one of the things that I love, like, is when I see guys, one of the things I love about Hillsong is the fact that they have a lot of these songs that are kind of chasing after that sort of hymn-like quality. Um, there is something to that. I think Adam's exactly right. And I think as songwriters, we should be chasing that if we're writing songs for our church. Sure. Um, I, I do think that to take a little bit of a different approach, what I think is really important. So it, no one's going to be able to guess, I don't think, where the church is going in 20 years. But I think that one of the things that I think is really important is that um, no matter what the model is, that the 
people who we are engaged with, if we are actually being a worship pastor instead of a worship leader, which I think is a delineation that is really, really, really important. If you look at yourself as just a worship leader, then, you know, I, I think that your job is a different thing than being like a full-time guy who is supposed to be connecting with volunteers, supposed to be connecting with, um, you know, with your congregation in, in multiple ways. I think that as a worship pastor, like we should be pouring into our volunteers and actually like actively trying to replace ourselves hmm. um, with how we pour into Amen our volunteers. <laughs> um, I, I I really, really just think that in no matter what the model looks like, if you make your heart, if the heartbeat of what you do is your volunteers and and pouring into worship leaders and pouring into players and kind of casting vision, I, I've kind of developed this sort of thought process that it, to me, I call it three-dimensional worship, but basically that I think for so often that we focus so much with volunteers and so much with how we judge what happens on Sunday morning by skill alone, when in fact, like you have skill, you have passion, you have knowledge. And if you're focusing on all three of these things and even how you deal with your volunteers, and we've been really, really active in how we really, really intentional with how we're presenting this to our volunteers. Like, yes, we do have a standard of excellence because we're a church of 9,000 people and there are expectations. Yes, we need to be quote unquote excellent, but that doesn't take away from the fact that um, if you're excellent but standing there like a bump on a log, then that's meaningless. Like if you're not worshiping, if you're not engaging, if you're not passionate about what's happening, then you are absolutely missing out on what being involved in congregational worship is really all about. But not only that, but understanding the office of worship leader and where this comes from all the way back to the Old Testament, how it ties into this history of the church and the history of who we are. Like it's like music in church is not this new thing that suddenly happened because, you know, the Jesus people suddenly started playing guitars. Like that's not, <laughs> it's not a new thing. Like the, we, we are stepping into this office that is thousands of years old. And so understanding what that's about and understanding what biblical worship is and what biblical congregational worship, what it calls us to, um, to me, I think if you pour that kind of stuff into your volunteers, that it doesn't matter the model of church or the size of church. If that's what you're doing with your volunteers, then that you're winning, like, mm. you know, no matter what. Yep. Yeah. I think I think too. There's two things. One one that you said, Ryan, is is what happens if there's a worship leader that wants to um, introduce some new things and they're getting kind of conflict with their their leadership. Um, you know, we are men and women under authority, and and I don't mean that in a weird, overly spiritual dictator way. But but the Bible it makes it clear that God has established leaders within the church, and if the leadership of your church isn't on board with the way that you would like to lead, then you have a choice. You can submit to where they want and they feel the church needs to go, or you can pray and ask the Lord to show you the right church for you to fit at. Sure. So if, if you're getting pushback from your leadership, you have to understand that, that your job isn't to fight them. It's to Correct. be in a team with them. Now, if it's in a situation, I think it's kind of what you were saying earlier, Ryan, where your leadership wants to move things forward, but there's pushback from the congregation then my encouragement would be to be the biggest ally and support that your pastor or your leadership can have um, and how you comport yourself, if you're, how you can be gracious and, and not uh, confrontational towards critics or towards people. Sure. 
But the, the biggest thing is, is it's a question of where God wants your church to go. Um, the, out of the three new church plants that, that are going on in Seattle that I mentioned, two of them were given buildings by churches that felt like God had said, your season is done. And the, those churches shut down and gave their, their buildings to these new churches being birthed because they recognized this is not our season and this, this new ministry is what God is doing. And so if your church is being called to move forward, it may not look exactly like any of the big brand names, Bethel, Hillsong, any of these ones. How does God want your church to move forward? Because if, if I'm thankful... If Bethel had tried to be exactly like Elevation Church, if Elevation Church had tried to be exactly like Hillsong, then we wouldn't have some of the diversity that we have. And you could add to that some of the different, uh, there's, there's always groups that don't get mentioned. The Village Church down in Texas is doing stuff. Um, the Reality Churches down in, in SoCal are doing stuff. So, so there's different churches that are doing things and they're moving in the way that God's leading them. And I sure. think that's the same question to us. How is God leading my church? And, and you know, maybe the, the right thing, the way God's leading us is not to abandon hymns, maybe to modernize them or, or contextualize them. Um, but God's saying, do this thing. And yeah, it's different than this other group, but I'm not asking you to be this other group. I'm asking you to move forward and, and connect with people in your town and in your city. Right. Yeah, that's... That brings up a really good point. I think that I, I'd love to. I'd love to jump in before I get out of the way. Um, <laughs> I I think that sometimes we go to like outcry or we go to you know passion or whatever the conference is. We go to these conferences and we see how Chris Tomlin or Hillsong or name your big band, you know your big worship band, how they lead at these conferences and at these festivals. And we think that that is how we are supposed to lead a church of 2000 or a church of 200. And we wonder why our people are not, like, engaged with us. Hmm. And I, I really think that, like, so much of, like, you know, when you – when here's the honest truth. Outcry has, you know, they came to Chicago. I think there was, like, 12,000 people that went to Outcry, right? Hmm. And I had friends that came – you know, people from my team who came back and they were just like, oh, my gosh. Like, it was the most incredible thing. And I'm like, that's 12,000 people who showed up expecting. We have people – in every service who are coming in hurting and broken and they fought with their husband or their wife on the way into church and they struggled to get their kids in, they are not coming expecting, no matter how much we want them to be, they are not coming with the same expectation that God is going to move like you do when you go to outcry or you go to passion or whatever this thing is. And we have to be understanding of that. So I can't get up and demand and go, Worship with me, like, and then get, like, I see worship leaders get frustrated on stage because the church isn't following them like they want them to follow. And I just want to go, like, bro, like, just relax. Like, let people follow you. Like, give mm -hmm. people a chance to, like, get into this place that by the third or fourth song, they can actually follow you because they're letting all this other crap go, you know? Yeah. But I think that we think that because Chris Tama leads this way that we have to lead this way, and it's just not true. Sure. I think there's a super important point that like that we're all kind of getting at is basically like the healthiest or not the healthiest the churches the bigger ones the ones that we're trying to copy um, aren't necessarily trying to copy anyone so there should be something to be said for the fact that all these churches didn't strike out to try to copy another church yeah. and you know whether that means I mean obviously nobody like not every church is going to turn into this giant mega church but 
if there's anything to emulate, I think it's important to look at what these churches did and why they did it and recognize that they didn't try to just copy another big church. They found what was yeah. going on in their congregation. They ran after what that congregation needed. And uh, the fact that they were successful, I think, was because they were fulfilling the need for their church. There's churches, there, there, are, there are smaller churches that nobody's ever heard of that are doing amazing things. Yeah. And I, I would rather be an unknown, unnamed church that's doing what, what it's supposed to do on, on, on God's mission than be a, a big church that, that's not where God wants them to be. Sure. And, and so I think that's the, the real challenge. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Please head over to iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. It really, really helps us become more visible over there. And we're all about connecting with more worship leaders, musicians, creatives, and people involved in the work of the church. God bless you today. Thank you for listening. As always, please, please get that one out too, Fox.